All right, so I'm skipping ahead. I'm in the book of Ephesians again, but I want to skip ahead to um, a, a portion of chapter 3, which I think is really just on my heart for today, and one of the best portions of the Bible, period. And it's the end of chapter 3 where Paul prays for the church. And so I'm going to read this together, and then we're going to explore particularly the first part where Paul talks about bowing the knee to the Father, all right? So this is chapter 3, starting in verse 14 of the book of Ephesians in God's holy word. This is the word of God. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory... He may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that being grounded in love, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to understand with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Amen. And I want to read again the most important part for me today. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven on earth is named. So, I've been thinking about government quite a bit. You may have noticed that we've had a bit more government involvement in our lives in the last four to six weeks. And it can feel like sometimes a new uh, suggestion or a new law or a new requirement is coming out from the government every two or three days. They have a tough job. It's not uh, an enviable position to be trying to lead a province or a city or a country through what's looking like a fairly significant pandemic, might be the worst pandemic in a hundred years. I don't envy anybody having this job, but all of us are being impacted by the reality of government. And I want to talk about government just for a little bit because government is God's idea. And we know this in part from this passage here from Scripture when Paul is talking about bowing the knees to the Father. So he's talking about praying. He's talking about having an attitude of submission. Even in his body, he kneels before the Father God in prayer. And he describes the Father in this passage as like this the Father from whom every family in heaven and earth is named. What's going on here, that that sounds weird. What does it mean every family is named after the Father? In in heaven? In heaven? Families in heaven? What? You know, what? This is one of those times to say what? Because this isn't totally clear. This is how I understand it. There's a bit of a play on words going on in the original language here in Greek. Everyone say, Greek! Thank you, Scott. You're awesome. Everybody else, get off your phones. Okay. Greek. There's a word play going on here because the Greek word for father is pater. And the word for family here is patria. They sound similar and they are connected. 
The father, the pater, is the one from whom pasapatria, every family, is named. But the Greek word patria means more than what our word family means. It means family, yes, like people who share the same last name, but it can also mean something bigger than family, like a nation or government. And what Paul is partially saying here is when I go to pray to the Father in heaven, I am praying to the one who is who every government and every family, which is a form of government, and every nation, they derive their government from him. When I bend the knee to the pater, I know that they are every kind of patria derived from God or comes from God or is established by God but submits to God the Father. The Father is above the fathered whether it's fathered citizens in a nation or fathered children in a home or fathered kids in a school, every kind of authority comes from the highest authority. That's what I, how I understand what Paul's talking about. Even in the heavenly realms, even the patria in heavenly places, the angels and the spirits, they all derive their authority from the Father. And that's what Paul is talking about here. And I think this is really important for us to remember for two reasons. It's my observation that Christians can tend to respond to times like this in one of two ways. Either they can get very resistant to governments because they're making so many decisions and Sometimes we have right, rightful reasons to not trust every decision that's made, but we can be very resistant to what's going on. And on the other hand, sometimes we can be way too submissive to what's going on and just be going along with it because the government says so. Those are two kind of ways to fall off the fence here. But the Bible gives us a clearer idea. We are underneath patrias as a people. We're underneath governments that are established by the great government, our Father who's in heaven. And so how do we live under government, whatever it is? We submit to God by submitting to the government as long as they're submitting to God. That's kind of the way it works. We submit to God by submitting to the governments as long as they're submitting to God. And as soon as they get out of their lane, then our highest loyalty is to the Father and we don't follow governments into doing sins against God. And the greatest example in all of Scripture of how to do this well is... Do you know it? It's Daniel. Daniel is the greatest example in Scripture, apart from Jesus Christ, our Lord himself, maybe Paul's up there too, of how to do this well. Do you remember the story of Daniel? Daniel's a prophet, but he's an interesting kind of prophet because he's actually a government worker. He's like a minister. He's, He's like the minister of health. And he was living in Jerusalem when Jerusalem was conquered, and he was taken as a prisoner and an exile over to Babylon and trained by the people who had destroyed his nation and killed his extended family members, trained to be educated in their, in their system, educated in their universities, trained to serve the nation. 
And because of his faith in God, he did really well. He was super smart, and he wanted God to bless him in his ability to do well. And so he kept getting promoted in the nation of Babylon, which was not a godly government. But he kept getting promoted. And he was doing a good job. And there's all these stories about how he would do a good job, and then the government would want him to do something that would displease the father, and so he wouldn't participate with it. And then God would rescue him in the midst of that, or Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And it starts off small with just the story of food. Everything starts with food. Remember, they're in school and they're in their training, and they keep getting brought all this food to eat, and Daniel and his friends don't want to eat the meat. And it's not because they couldn't eat any meat or they weren't free to eat meat, but that meat would have all been sacrificed to the gods of Babylon, and so they didn't want to be participating with the worship of idols. So they said, we don't want to do it. And then there's a, the, the guy in charge of him said, there's going to be trouble. Oh, no, you're, going to, you're disobeying. You're, you're, not, you're not submitting. Well, they're submitting to their highest authority. They're submitting to God. So they say, why don't you just let us eat vegetables and see how we're doing? And they did really well. They were fatter afterwards, and so everyone got a vegetable meal after that. Do you remember the next thing that happened? It was the story of the dream. And, and Nebuchadnezzar said, all my wise men need to interpret this dream, but I'm not going to tell you what the dream is. And they said, we can't do this. And so he says, okay, you're all dead. And so this edict went out to kill all the wise men. Did, and Daniel, did he participate with this government decree? No, because mass murder over a dream is not good. So he says, stop, we'll pray. We'll seek the Lord. And if he answers, then that's great. And God answered and told Daniel and his friends this secret dream so that Daniel could rescue these people. But he wasn't participating with the law of the land when he said no to Nebuchadnezzar. And you remember the next thing that happened? Nebuchadnezzar makes this big idol out of gold and he says, everyone has to worship my idol. Whenever an instrument's played, you hit the keyboards, worship the idol. You whack the drums, worship the idol. You pluck the string on the bass, worship the idol. Guess who didn't do it? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They didn't submit to this idolatrous law because this would have meant not submitting to God. But when this happened, what were they? Were they nobodies? No, they were working for the government. They were successful government workers. They, they submitted enough to be valued in this pagan government. But they said, we can't do this. And so he said, okay, into the fire you go. And God saved them in there. And it happened again with Daniel. He's been promoted, I think it's with Cyrus, to the highest place in the government. So he's actually ruling over all the provinces. And his, his competitors want to get rid of him. And so they secretly try to find something wrong with his job. Is it usually hard to find a government worker at a high level who's, who's doing something wrong? No! <laughs> it happens all the time. It's the assumption that there'd be some corruption. Even in Canada, which is really not corrupt compared to a lot of places. And they're trying to find some corruption in Daniel, and there's none. They can't do it because he's such a good, submissive worker for this pagan king in order to honor God. So they say, we're going to have to get him with his religion. They trick the king into making a law saying, you can only pray to me. And Daniel's like, nope, that's too far. I'm serving God even while I'm serving you, so there's no way I'm going to stop praying for you. And that's when the whole lion's den thing happened. All these stories, they have one message. We honor the governments because we honor God until they want us to not honor God, and then we honor God instead of the government. That's how we do this. 
And I think Peter said it really well in the book of Acts when the Sanhedrin was telling them, stop preaching in the name of Jesus. He said to them, you need to decide for yourself whether or not it's better for us to listen to man or listen to God. But as for us, we're going to listen to God. But Christians aren't rebels by nature because we know that the highest patria has instituted the lower patrias. And so we honor our father by honoring the governments as much as we're able to by faith. Amen? So it's important to remember that. As far as my conscience is concerned, I think the governments in Canada have been doing a relatively good job and haven't done anything to really provoke rebellion or provoke non-participation with things. But we have to keep our eyes open. Because our job is always to be serving the Lord. And because our job is always to be bowing the knee to the Father, we need to just be aware about the other voices that are calling us to bow our knees to them. Cool? Cool. Let's keep going. The next thing that that this passage really strikes me about is, as Paul is saying, when I go to worship God in prayer, when I go to pray to him and I bow the knee to him, I remember that he is the highest government there is, is I'm kind of encouraged because one of the things that this season has shown us is how good we are at actually submitting to rules and changing our lives to do something. We're actually, surprise, surprise, pretty good at it. Someone says, stay at home. We pretty much stay at home. Someone says, you know, you, you, you got to just only go to the grocery store. This is a new one. Only go to the grocery store once a week. They might make the law. Guess what? We're probably going to do that. Someone says, you can't go to the U.S. Guess what? We've stopped trying to go to the U.S. We are doing so much submitting every single day, and we are willing to change our lives so much. We, we don't love it. We kind of complain about it. Great. But we are submitting. They say, don't take your kids to school. Did anybody, anybody just rally a bunch of parents and dump their kids off at school and say, no, you promised. You told us I'm supposed to get a job, and you'll take care of my kids. Anybody do that? No. They said, don't bring your kids to school. And we did it. We have done so much radical obedience to governments these days. And I just, as a Christian, I'm thinking, this should be our new standard for God. Because the Father over all the governments, He has His own commands. Amen? And He has His own calls for us to change our lives to do good. We have done so much stuff just to try to flatten a curve. And the Father of heaven says, I call you to so much obedience in order to glorify God and to be the amazing children of God and to reach out and save the lost and bring people not just rescue from a virus, but actual eternal life and service to Jesus. Church, look at how much we can do when we believe that it's going to make a difference. Or when we believe that someone has authority to tell us what to do. And when Paul is kneeling before the Father and getting down on his knees, he's going, I and go and kneel before the one who has authority to tell everybody what to do. And who himself is on a mission. 
not to flatten the curve, but to spread the knowledge of His glory through His Son, Jesus Christ, throughout the entire world, and to win a bride of blood-bought sinners for Jesus Christ from every nation throughout the world, and to do it in the midst of suffering and loss and setbacks and lyrics that don't show up, with ever-increasing faith and ever-increasing joy throughout the world, to make a family from people from every tribe and tongue and nation throughout the world. That's His mission. And now we all know we can obey it. Because we've done it for this. Amen? Anybody? Somebody, there, there's people nodding here. I just wish there were more. Can you all just like keep moving chairs and then nod? So like, If you do it really fast, like the flash, there'll be the impression of a room full of people. But out there, do you hear what I'm saying? Look, churches can radically change their lives when we think it counts. When we think that someone who has authority to tell us what to do is talking. And when we think that it's going to save people, we can radically change our lives. Hallelujah! This is kindergarten. When the lockdown stops, we're going to elementary school. The goal is to graduate from the university of lives radically devoted to the authority of God and the mission of Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit who's with me. Well, I, I'm sorry, I, this, this is, I'm a pastor for these kinds of times. I'm a, I, like, I'm, I don't love it, but, but there's something about things going wrong that stirs me up and go, finally, the power of God will become valuable to the church. Finally, the Spirit of God won't be about just emotional changes, but will be for radically spreading the eternal life of Christ. Yes, this is what the Bible was written for. It was written for a people where everything is going wrong. And when everything's going right, we don't understand this book. It's written by martyrs to martyrs. It's written by people who have been tortured to people who will be tortured. And so I'm just like, we can get this now. We're in a lockdown. This is great. Get in the Bible. Anyhow. Remember when this letter that we're reading of Paul, he's in prison. But he doesn't see the prison bars as getting in the way of him transforming the universe. As long as he has needs, he knows that he has power because he can bend them before the governor over all governments. Which brings me to my next point. Positions of power. Um, Because of the circumstances nowadays, we have seven people in our families. Me and Jackie and the five kids. I have to always remind myself the number because I forget. And uh, that's just, just me. But that means that pretty much every time we leave the house, it's in the van. And I rarely get out of the van. We just get in the van. That's our outing. We get in the van and burn some of the super cheap gas, and then we come back home. But when you're seven people in a van, that means every chair is spoken for. And what inevitably happens is that one of the chairs becomes the most important chair. Does anybody, anybody have this, right? 
So when it's when you're teenagers, it's shotgun. You want to you want to ride shotgun beside there, and you make up all these rules. When we were growing up, it was the rules where you had to be outside of the house, heading towards the car to go somewhere. So you couldn't still be inside of the house. So and then you called shotgun. Everybody who might call shotgun has to be outside of the house in order to call shotgun. You can't call shotgun when you're inside the house. There's all these rules because shotgun was the most important position in the car. You didn't even actually want to be driving because that means that you were spending your own gas, right? You wanted to be driving shotgun wherever you're going because somebody else's gas, somebody else's car. There's always a position of power. And it's something to do with humanity and how we're fallen. There's always this sense where we're, we kind of know where the best seats are, the best positions are, what the place you want to be is, who's the most important person in the room. In our, in our van, it's the middle seat behind the passenger, not the driver. Timmy's behind the driver, so he's got the best seat, the one that's most likely to have food all over it and snacks and stuff like that. That seat gets to decide what music we're listening to in the van, so that is the best seat, but the next best seat is the one beside it because you don't have anybody beside you. And so what do you think happens? Do you think people are all like, well, why don't you take it? No, why don't you? I had it last time. You should take it this time. No, people fight over it. And so, again, our kids, I don't even know the science behind it. They've come together with this weird calculus of deciding who's weak it is to be in the chair, and I just let them figure it out, and as long as they're not squabbling, everything's fine. But have you ever experienced this? Positions of authority, positions of power, the most important seat. When I hear Paul talking about bending the knees to the pater over every patria, I can't help but hear him tell us what the most important and powerful position on earth is. It's this. This position of kneeling before the Father is more powerful than being the Prime Minister. It's more powerful than being a President. It's more powerful than being a General. It's more powerful than being a President. It's more powerful than being a Principal. It's more powerful than being a Teacher. It's more powerful than being a Police Officer. The bent knee before the Father is the highest position in the world for actually doing things. And I'm not just making this up because of this little phrase, for this reason, that Paul starts to sentence. For this reason, I bow the knees. Well, what's he talking about? He's pretty much talking about everything that's come before. He's talking about how, as Christians, we're chosen to be children of God and we're elect and predestined before the foundation of the world and that we're sealed with the Holy Spirit. We've got an inheritance in heaven and how we used to be sinners, but then we've been saved by grace through faith and, and seated in the heavenly places with Christ who has conquered every name that is named in heaven and on earth. And he's talking about himself specifically, how he's been appointed to be an apostle of the Lord and he's been given grace to preach the mysteries of the gospel that nobody knew before and to make Christians and churches throughout the entire world, including the grace to do miracles and work wonders in front of people to establish the truth of the gospel. And he's been given this power and this authority and this grace. He's been made by God to be one of the most famous human beings in all of history. The name of Paul will be known in every nation and every language in human history. He's more famous than anybody is ever going to be that's alive today. He's given this huge position of authority and power and faith and he says, my response to all of this glory that God has shared with me is to kneel before him. Because when you're famous, that's what you do. You kneel before God and you say, if, if I'm praying. 
And when you've been given authority, this is what you do. You kneel before God and say, this is actually where things change. And, and I think it's not true for everyone, but I, I sometimes wonder if Canadian Christians have a hard time believing in prayer. Because I think sometimes it's one of the last things we turn to. I think one of the first things we turn to is talking to people on our phones sometimes. I got this problem. Who, who can I call? I got this problem. What video can I look up to fix this? I got this problem. We gotta, like, do I really have to pray? Has it gotten that bad that we have to pray? Where Paul says, this is what you do when you actually want to change things. And so one of my great exhortations for you this morning, one of the things I'm calling you to do today is, why don't we together work on this habit of saying, if I haven't knelt before the Father about this issue, I don't want to bring it to somebody else for help yet. Does that sound crazy? Well, maybe you're sick and can't do that or whatever. You need to phone 911. It doesn't need to be a law. But is this your lifestyle where you won't actually bring one of your problems to a friend until you've knelt before the Lord, where the work is actually done? And I'm not saying isolate yourself. That's not what I'm saying. But there's something about Paul talking here where he says, all this glory from God, I have to kneel. And I think it's not my habit to think all these troubles I need to kneel. This is where things change. This is where work is done. This is, this is where lives are transformed. I can go and kneel before the God over every situation. And he will hear me by grace. This is where the work is done. And so I'm just, I'm challenging myself. I don't want to complain about anything until I've prayed about it. You know what I'm talking about? Like, I don't want to grumble until I've done the humble T-shirt time. Somebody want to make some money? Are you going to grumble or are you going to humble? Boom! That's like the motto. It won't sell. And this, I'm not meant to, I'm not poking. I'm, I'm calling us to a greater life with God. There is such a joy in seeing your prayers answered. There is so much built up faith in going, I knelt before the Father and things changed. And then I can do it again, and again, and again, and again. And this is what Paul calls us to. He says, for this reason and all these reasons, the first thing I do is kneel. I think one of the things that learning to kneel before the Father first and early does is it helps deal with kind of a learned helplessness that we can get. I want to tell a Timmy story. You may have heard this one a little bit already. I don't bring him up tons. Our our youngest, Timmy, um, he's so joyful. He's so good. He, He has antics, though. He likes to mess with people a little bit. And the thing that he's messing with people the most with these days is... He likes to pretend like he can't pull up his own pants. It's really weird. In the morning when it's time to get dressed and the pajamas come off and Jackie's trying to get him dressed for the day, he's used to kind of just 
pretending like he can't do it. And then if he pretends long enough, someone will come up and do it, right? He's got this learned helplessness. I know that if I just sit here, someone will pull up my pants for me. And he's good at it. And he would way rather have somebody else do it. And so Jackie's working on getting him to pull up his own pants. And he can totally do it. He just doesn't always want to. And so he'll stand there with his pants around his thighs and he'll kind of go, give it a tug and go, huh? didn't work. Huh? Huh? Can't do it. Huh? Huh? Or he'll pull up the front and he's got a diaper on so none of the diaper is covered with pants. But he's got a kind of halfway up the front. Be like, good, good. No, pull up the back. And he knows, you know, I think, I think he, he sometimes pretends he doesn't understand. He, if you say, pull up your pants on the back, he absolutely knows what you're saying. I'm from Bulgaria. What, what do you, I don't understand English. You can't just say, pull up your pants on the back. I'm an orphan from another country. What do you expect from me? But if you say, pull up your pants on the back and you'll get a cookie, boom, boom, he's gone, right? He totally gets it. But he's got this kind of, it's easier to let somebody else do the work with my pants. He'll even sometimes, if you have pants that have like, um, he has these one set of pants that has zippers on the pockets. He'll just kind of like play with the zippers. Like somehow that was trying to pull his pants up. <laughs> didn't work. My legs are still cold. Fix it. He's so cute. It's crazy. But he's got this thing. Um, but then if you say, hey, let's leave the house, he'll run and he'll grab his shoes and he'll put his own jacket on and start working on his own shoelaces. And it's like, dude, if you can work on your own shoelaces, you can pull your pants up. So he's busted. He self-busts. But he, he's got this thing. And I, and I think that sometimes we can we have this Christian learned helplessness where we've psyched ourselves up and we, we read situations and we think, this is the one that I can't do. Even though I've got 30 years of being taken care of by the Lord, this is the one where he can't do it. This is the one where he runs out of ideas. When I go to heaven, Jesus, what do you want me to do next? And all these trials, he's like, I don't know, man. My prayer backlog, I've got like 16 million prayers still to deal in. It's going to be seven days before I get to you. No, he's never like that. He's the pater over every patria. He's the God over everything in heaven and on earth. And when we kneel, he's right there. When we're kneeling in faith, he's right there. Jesus told us, don't multiply your prayers. Don't feel like you have to keep going on and on and on because the Father knows what you need before you even ask him. That's the Father. He's already thought about what he wants to do before you kneel. So we're never lost. If you have knees, you're never down. Well, you're down. But you're not out. I love it. I love it. And I need this challenge because my tendency is to go to discouragement and despair. That's my tendency, but God's working on it. Okay, let me wrap this thing up with one thing. From what I read you today, the reason that Paul gets on his knees and the reason he addresses the Father who's over every fatherhood is this. He prays that the church would really be empowered to know the hugeness of the love of Christ or the love of God in Christ. That they'd be empowered, even by the Holy Spirit in their hearts, to know just how huge Jesus' love is for them. That's his desire. And I don't know all the reasons why he prays this. 
my experience is that the human heart doesn't want to believe the, the fullness of everything God has done for us or everything God is in us. We, we, we resist the truth. Even Christians, even mature Christians, resist yielding to everything God has said in his love for us and his goodness for us. Is it because we've been hurt before and don't want to be disappointed? Is it because it sounds too good to be true? Is it because our hearts are half our hearts are divided and, and we, we want kind of Jesus' love, but we also want other things that aren't Jesus' love. Is it because we don't come and just kneel and ask for it? We think we're already good enough. I don't know what the reason is, but my experience is that the human heart is slow to believe the fullness of the love of Christ for us. And I think that was Paul's experience too. I think that's the human experience, that we're slow to believe how much Jesus really loves us. We're slow to believe the goodness of the gospel. And so guess what Paul doesn't do? He doesn't say, you should believe this. You should believe this. You should believe Instead, he gets on his knees and goes to the one who can actually change things. The Father, God, over every heart and every mind, who has the power to send the Spirit with resurrection power that can raise from the dead every heart and every mind to point us towards the truth of Christ so we actually believe what he's done and who he is and how he feels about us. But I just want to end by focusing on the otherness of this passage. This passage doesn't let us just go, Jesus loves me. That's great, and I want to know how much Jesus loves me. Because that's not actually what Paul is demonstrating. He's actually demonstrating that there are people around us who don't know Jesus like they need to. There are people around us, even Christians, who don't know the love of Jesus like God wants them to. And there are billions of unbelievers who don't know the goodness of God through his son, Jesus Christ. That he sent Jesus to die for sins so that we don't have to live under the guilt and shame and manipulation of idolatry. We can say, I'm forgiven and free. We don't have to live under the constant need to perform in order to prove ourselves to God and other people because he's chosen to love us in Jesus before we were even born. And we gain access to that by faith through the grace of God. You know people who need that. And... There's billions of people who need that that we don't know. And so Paul is demonstrating that we need to kneel before the Father in order to accomplish them finding this out. And then sometimes we need to go. But as a church, we need to be mobilized to go. This prayer comes from the heart of a missionary. He's not satisfied that his churches know Jesus enough. So he's praying a missionary prayer. He's not satisfied that there's enough Christians in the world. So he's praying a missionary prayer. He's not okay with people recovering from a virus if they don't know Jesus. So he's praying a missionary prayer. And this is us. We, we, this is us, Calvary Chapel. When we gather back together, it will be for the mission of causing people by the 
answered prayers to the Father by the power of the Spirit, causing people to know the height and the depth and the breadth and the width and to know the love of God in Jesus Christ our Lord and to have the faith that He is able to do incredibly, amazingly, surpassingly, wonderfully, abundantly more than we could ask or imagine because He's already raised someone from the dead. Amen? So, Calvary, thank you for your attention. I want to invite you to make kneeling before the Father with your physical body part of your life. It does do something to kneel. And as you kneel before him, I want you to remind yourself that you're going to the one who doesn't ask anyone permission to do what he wants. He is the pater over ever patria. He doesn't need to consult with any governments in order to accomplish his purposes. They are responsible to him, not the other way around. But we're called to come to him as his beloved children, on mission with him. And so let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for this awesome, powerful call to kneel before you, knowing you that, knowing that who you are, that you're above everything. And God, I'm even going to kneel afresh today and Father, I pray that everyone listening to this, by your supernatural power and not by our fleshly efforts, would have an incredible revelation of the love of Christ in their life. That he really did choose us. That he really does want us. That he really did die for us. That he really did come back from the grave to give us new life that he really did orchestrate the day if it's happened when we would hear his voice calling and turn to him. And he really does plan on being with us forever, locked up in our, his own heavenly quarantine where we're going to be together forever. And this is his joy because he loves us so much. God, I need to know this more. And so, God, would you do it? Would you open up our hearts and our minds? Father, would you expose every lie from the enemy and every mindset of the flesh that gets in the way of this truth, which is your passion? And I pray, fathers, we know your love, that we wouldn't sabotage it by making it just about us, but we would be inflamed with missionary zeal to help other people know this free grace and this deep love that Christ offers to people. And that you would give us creativity and wisdom and power in the spirit together to multiply those who love you back. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen.